Philippians chapter 1, let's begin in verse number 19, and Paul continues his letter and he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh, and he's talking about to remain in the body, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, let me just tell you what some of you are thinking. Jeff, you didn't make it through four verses last week before you ran out of time. What are you doing playing around with 12 verses tonight? Listen, I am growing in my faith, so I hope to be able to, um, to, be able to make it through these tonight. I, I, I really do. I want to talk to you about what it means to follow those who follow the king. All of us are two things. We are people who are being in, influenced by others in the kingdom, and we are also influencing others in the kingdom. You are being influenced and you are an influencer. And so one of the things that I've wanted to do in my entire Christian life is I've been very intentional about discerning who do I want to influence me in the kingdom? Who, who do I want to feed my mind, feed my spirit? Who, whose life do I want to pattern my life after? Now, it sounds spiritual to say, well, just Jesus. Well, listen, I can read of Jesus and I can hear from Jesus, but all throughout Scripture we find the pattern that those who have been invested in with the gospel turn around and invested in others, and that's how you came into the kingdom. You came into the kingdom because people didn't drop the baton of passing the gospel down from generation to generation. So we are all following somebody in life, and this message is kind of highlighting how to follow those that are following the king. And so there's really three major points tonight. I want to go upward together, I want to go inward together, and then I want to go forward together. And all of this is based on what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. So let's start up in verse number 19. And that's what we're doing. We're going verse by verse through this entire little book, four chapters in the Bible. Let's start in verse number 19, and let's begin to talk about what it means to go upward together. I want to show you something that, that probably didn't leap out of the text to you when we read it, and that's Paul's value 
of intercession. Do you know what intercession means? I know that's kind of a word we don't always use outside of uh, kingdom settings, but intercession is just a form of prayer. It means we go before the Lord in prayer to ask of him to pour out before him on behalf of others and to ask of him. Petition, intercession, all of it together constituting prayer. And here he values it. And look at what he says. And remember, he's in prison. And this is what he says to the church. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance as it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Okay, I'm going to work this backwards. Paul is saying, I've got an expectation and a hope that my situation is going to be reversed. Paul says, I'm not going to come out of this incarceration disappointed or ashamed for what I have done or ashamed in the outcome of it. Paul is saying here, it is my earnest, my eager expectation and my hope that this is going to turn out for my deliverance. So just real quick here. Paul says, I have confidence that I will be released from this prison. But watch this. Because Paul says he comes to this conclusion and this confidence through two different forms. One is he says, I know the Holy Spirit's going to do something. I know the Spirit of Jesus Christ is doing something, is going to do something. But look what else he says. He says, through your prayers, through your prayers and because of your prayers, I have confidence that I will be delivered from this situation, not ashamed, not disappointed. I want you to pause there for a minute, especially if you're like me. I have a very high view of the sovereignty of God. Um, I scare people but sometimes when I get really crystal clear and precise about how sovereign God is. By the way, there's no such thing as God being a little sovereign or somewhat sovereign. It just means he rules over all. But notice this, the God who rules over all, who knows the end from the beginning, that, that he sits on his throne in heaven and does whatever he pleases, according to the psalmist. The same God that Paul is trusting in, Paul also says, but it's not just God. He says, your prayers are also breeding confidence in me. That Paul was not so, and by the way, Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 1. He wrote the entire book of Romans. You read Romans 9, 10, and 11. You're going to come away saying, whoa, that's so, God's so uh, sovereign, I'm scared at some point. Ephesians chapter 1 is the same thing. But the same guy that wrote Ephesians 1 and Romans 9, 10, and 11 is the same guy that says all the time to people he writes, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Pray that a door will be open. Pray that we can do this in ministry. Pray that we can have inroads over here. And pray for me and my situation and then Paul says this I know that through your prayers I'm going to be delivered now friends I'm not smart enough and I don't want to insult you maybe you are I'm not smart enough to figure out how my prayers feeble limited and, and sometimes struggling little prayers have any impact whatsoever especially when God's sovereign anyway and so you can spin your wheels all the time. And I've met people that get so caught up in the gears of theology that literally they say, well, why pray? God's sovereign. He's got it all figured out. Let me tell you why pray. Why pray? Because we're called to pray. We're commanded to intercede. We enter into partnership with God. Listen, God's infinite heart, a part of it says, in essence, I don't want to do this apart from your involvement. He says to his children, I want you getting in on what I am going to do. And we do that so often by intercession. And so I've, I've no longer in that camp that's trying to figure out how prayer works. I, I just know that it does. I just know that it's such an awesome thing that God lets me have a voice in all that he is doing. 
And so I will leave it to much smarter people to try to figure out prayer. In the meantime, I'm just going to keep on praying. And Paul says the same thing here. So he's going upward with them. He's saying, your prayers are having an effect on me. You're in Philippi, a Roman colony. I'm all the way in Rome. And your prayers, by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, are giving me a confidence that I'm going to be delivered. A little bit further on. Look at his driving motivation down in the end of verse number 20. He says, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's adding a statement here. And he's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's adding a statement here that theoretically, even if he were to die in prison, he still had strong reason to retain his courage because he's not living any longer for his own preservation. Paul's not living for his own safety. He's laid down his life as a sacrifice to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was at complete rest in, in knowing that Jesus Christ was going to be honored in how Paul's life fulfilled his destiny. So it's, it's, I just want to say this. It's a liberating place to, in, to reach in your own life when you no longer count your life as the most important thing about your life. Let me say that again. We, we have to reach the place in our life that we no longer count our lives as the most important thing about our lives. What, what does that mean? It means we are naturally people that want to self-preserve. We want to protect. We want to self-supply. We, we like to be self-sufficient. We like to give God the lip service glory for it. But isn't it interesting that the entire framework of American culture is meant to make us independent of needing anything and anybody? So if we can be smart enough, if we can be strong enough, if we can be wealthy enough, if we can be slick enough, if we can be savvy enough, we can get to the point where we actually really don't need anything, but we can show up on church on Sunday and give God all the glory for it when God says, I love you, my child, but you're actually, you're actually preserving your own life. And so when I'm reading this, Paul is saying, he's saying, if I live, Christ is going to get the honor. If I happen to die, Christ is going to get the honor. So what's his driving motivation? That whether he's alive or whether he's dying, Jesus Christ is honored through Paul's life. Um, I just know that I've gone through successive levels. Um, I'm in my 25th year of being saved. Uh, I'm finishing up my 24th year, so I'm about to enter my 25th year of being saved. And I can't tell you how many times that I thought I had early on, I don't think anymore, I had reached that place of being completely sold out. You ever do that? Complete, I am completely sold out. I am in a season where I'm completely sold out. And then the Lord says, I'm going to humble you a little bit. And when he humbles you, you're like, I am so wretched. I am not even close to being sold out. I am so selfish. I am so self-centered. I'm so, y'all are looking a little bit like you've never gone through that. Well, if you haven't, I hope you get to. Because the reality is, is that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize you're not even close to being sold out. And it doesn't come by way of condemnation, by the way. It comes by way of invitation. He's like, now just come a little deeper. I'll show you something. Come a little deeper. Come a little deeper. But we've got to get to that place where we, we live in a perpetual surrender. A perpetual surrender where we can acknowledge humbly and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm confident that there's places in my heart that aren't fully yours yet but I am not knowingly trying to keep you out of any area of my life. And so he invites us to go deeper. And what Paul is saying here is, is if we continue to live, we want Christ to get the honor. If we enter into that corridor of death, we want it to be done in a way where Christ gets the honor. It's his driving motivation in life. Um, it, it, it isn't 
too radical for you who have grown dissatisfied with the status quo Western American version of Christianity. It's not too radical for you to keep pressing in and keep pressing in and keep pressing in. Um, there, there are so many forces around us that just want us to, to reach that average level of Christianity. We're moral. We're, we keep short accounts of sin with God. We're kind. We're loving. But we're not necessarily, you know, losing our life for the sake of the gospel. I mean, Jesus' strongest invitation was, you know, come and lose your life because that's where you're going to find your life. And Paul had reached that place. Now, you even see a progression in his letters. He goes deeper and deeper. But let me stay on track here. So that's his driving motivation, that Christ would be honored. You see also that he, he valued intercession. So they're going upward together in this thing. But look at his delight. And this is one of the most famous verses in the book of Philippians. Look at his delight in life. He says, for me to live is Christ. I'm going to come to the second part in a minute. But for me to live is Christ. And then in verse 22, he begins and he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, if I'm going to live in my body, that means fruitful labor for me. Now, this is an amazing statement, friends. Most of us have heard the verse and sung the songs, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the Greek, it literally reads, it reads this, to live, Christ, to die, gain. There is no verb in the Greek. Paul is just saying, life, Jesus, death, we win. I mean, it's that intense. Paul's like, I can't lose. I'm a Christian, I can't lose. If I live, Jesus. If I die, more Jesus. And his, his whole context for his earthly existence and his heavenly future is Jesus. Friends, I, we, have, we have really got to get this. How, how many of us, don't raise your hand, and, and I'm, I'm really not being critical. I'm just showing us maybe a better way to think about it. I remember as a lost man, people wanting to win me to Jesus, and they kept talking to me about, you get to go to heaven, you get to go to heaven, you get to go to heaven. You get. And the aim of their evangelism was to get me to heaven. And I understand that's the way they were trained, and I appreciate it, but if we, if we stop and think about that, that really makes the gospel all about us. Look what you get. You get streets of gold. Over here, behind curtain number three, gates of pearl. Look, it's Gabriel flying by. Take a selfie with him. I mean, it's just all sorts of, you know, atmospheric kind of stuff. But the reality is, is that it's all about Jesus. It's actually about him. Heaven is a place, but I don't want to go down a long rabbit trail here. Heaven, as we think about it, the intermediate heaven is temporary. We, we don't live up there forever. He's coming back to establish a, a kingdom on planet Earth, and then there's going to be a renewed heaven and Earth. And so all of the talk about the, 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 and the it's in the Bible, so I don't want to make light of it, but the goal is not to get you to heaven. The goal is to introduce you to the one who loves you the most, even though he knows you the best, he loves you the most, and he has made himself to you, available, a sacrifice to you. And when you received him, he made you a new creation. It's all about him, and the pulse in our spiritual veins is not supposed to be heaven. It's not. Don't, don't get upset with me. I don't mean to you know, blow up your Hallmark view of, of eternity, but the reality is that it's, it's supposed to be about Christ. It's supposed to be about a singular person 
And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing people that I love that are there with him right now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I get that. And I'm looking forward for all of that stuff. That's, that's part of the provision. But ultimately, that's not what motivates me. Um, I've said this before, probably even recently, but if, if Jesus wasn't in heaven, I don't want to go to heaven. I, w- I want to be where Jesus is. And Paul says, my life right now is about him. Paul met him on the Damascus Road. Paul was going to kill or imprison Christians on the Damascus Road when he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Jesus just interrupted him. And Jesus just shined with his glory, unveiled his glory, knocked Saul of Tarsus down in the dust and said, why are you persecuting me? And then he said to Saul, he said, I'm going to make you a messenger unto the Gentiles. I I am going to call you to advance my kingdom and you're going to suffer many things for my name's sake. And then Jesus let Paul kind of sit in time out for three days, blinded, and gave Paul, a, a Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, an opportunity to think about what, what his life had been about. And from that moment forward, all Paul wanted was another meeting with Jesus. He just wanted Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, there's a lot of things that are, are going to come against that desire growing in you. Man, we have a lot of things down here that we love. Good things, not bad things. A lot of good things that we love. But I have to go radical with you here. You have to love Jesus more than you love your spouse. You have to. I do not want my wife to love me more than she loves Jesus. She can't love me properly at all if she loves me more than she loves you. We have to love Jesus more than we love our children. We have to love Jesus more than we love our skill, our giftedness. We have to love Jesus more than the most precious thing that could ever be offered down here. And so it's a pressing in process. And Paul was able to say at this juncture in his life, for me, living is Christ. He could not conceptualize his life in any form of detachment from Jesus. And yet we find that that, that's, that happens all the time to people now that they do the Jesus thing on Sundays. They do the Jesus things on, on Wednesdays. They do the Jesus stuff at set times, but then they've got their real life, and that's just never meant to be the gospel. Paul said here that his delight was Jesus himself, and to live this life meant to live in fruitful labor in the kingdom. So Paul saw that his, his delight was Jesus himself, but his activity was, how can I be fruitful in kingdom endeavors? So whether Paul was sewing up a tent out of goat skin because he was a tent maker or whether Paul was writing scripture or preaching or casting out demons or raising the dead, Paul was at a place where he says, I just, I want what I do to be fruitful. I want it to be kingdom energized works. And he's calling the Philippians to to consider his own testimony. Uh, He does say this, by the way. Paul knew that eventually he would die. And so at the end of verse 21, whereas he said to live Christ, he says to die, gain. This is incredible insight because most people, most people dread death. Most people dread death, but not the apostle Paul because Paul viewed death as the doorway unto the fullness of his faith. Death was the corridor that he had to pass through in order to get to the one that he had been living for. And so he, he, Paul, Paul viewed his eventual passing 
um, from earth into glory, he, he viewed it as a, as a great reward. He said it's gain. He says it's gain. Now, when somebody I love dies, it feels like complete loss, but not for them, not if they're in Christ. I can tell you, man, they're not up there saying, oh, no, if I could only go back. They're not, man. They love us, but they do not miss us. I mean, I, listen, I don't want to be ugly about that because I know that can touch fresh wounds, but it is true. And they're not worried about us because they've just seen everything that we're still having to kind of move towards in faith. They're like, oh, it's, it's, if they could speak, it would be, it's glorious, it's glorious, it's going to be so good. And yet Paul was able to say, hey, um, living, it's all about Jesus. Dying, I enter into the fullness of my inheritance. Friends, let me just ask you, does, does that spirit, is that in you? Is that in you? Maybe if you're single here tonight, the temptation for young single people or any single people is, you know, I don't, don't want to die. I don't want to go. I don't want my life is over until I get married. And I get it, but that's wrong. <laughs> that's just jacked up. I'm sorry. I get it. I understand it. But, but you're missing it. Um, I mean, you don't have any kids yet. I just want to have children. I'm going to tell you something. Nobody that steps into the other side and sees King Jesus feels like they got ripped off on planet Earth. But we have to appropriate that by faith. Why? That means we are content with what we have and what we don't have. We are content wherever we are. And eventually, when death comes, because it's appointed unto people to die one time, we're, we have an appointment with dust. But we don't need to dread it. We need to recognize, no, that is the final chapter in this segment of our life, and we step into glory. So let's go beyond the upward. Let's, let's come back down to earth. And as a matter of fact, Paul's going to allow us to go inward together. Paul's going to tell you a little bit more about this conflict that he has in his heart between the tension of, of wanting a fruitful life down here in our appointed time versus receiving the fullness of our inheritance. Paul tells us how he actually feels about it. And so let's, let's look at this. We, I call verses 22 and 23 a glorious conflict. Now watch this. This encourages me. Paul, he's talking about either staying here or going to glory with Jesus. He says, which, which of the two I shall choose, I can't tell. Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two. Now, I'm going to caution some of you super spiritual people. Because super spiritual people will say, forget all this, I'm out of here, I'm ready to go. Come on, let's go. Lord, take me out of here. Come on, I'm ready to go. Now, hold on, wait, that, that sounds right. And it probably expresses a noble desire because Paul's going to say it's better to be with Jesus. But Paul actually felt a conflict about it. He, 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 he's going to tell us why. He's got this two-way pull because Paul viewed his life as belonging to Jesus on the earth. He, he knew that his life had value to other people. So yeah, if it's selfishly speaking, yeah, I'm ready to go when the Lord wants me to go. Lord, you want to take me home tonight? I'm ready to go. Yes, I'll confess, maybe even a little eager to go, because for me, that's the most awesome thing in the world, to be with him. I'm, matter of fact, I'm getting excited just kind of processing it there, but that, it's, it's an awesome thing. But hold on, my life's not about me. Your life's not about you. Our life is about Jesus and we, we must recognize that, that when it is our time, we will go, but until then, um, we've still got a purpose. We've still got people all around us that can benefit by what he has done within us. And so this conflict needs to be in our heart. 
a strong, passionate longing for glory to be with him, with nothing in between. I mean, imagine that with me. Nothing in between to be with Jesus. You won't have any sin issues. You won't have to be there by faith. I mean, we have. Peter talks about we love the one we haven't seen yet. That, that our, our greatest longing is towards someone that most, I mean, I haven't seen him. I don't know if you have. I've never seen the resurrected son of God. But, 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 but we have all these barriers between us and him. Faith is a glorious gift, and it's an, an awesome thing on this side of earth. But I'm looking forward to the day where I won't need faith anymore. But at the same time, because of what he's invested in you, your life has value right now. Eternal value. Kingdom value. That the Lord Jesus Christ wants to take what he has invested in you, he wants to fill it to its fullness, and then he wants to pour you out on other people, then he wants to fill you up again and keep pouring you out. That's his desire. Every single one of you. You know, we, we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. Listen, the salt's got to get out of the salt shaker. And so the omnipotent hand of God wants to take you as the salt, and he wants to sprinkle you on people. He wants to pour your life out on people. And so Paul is recognizing that, that God has used him, and he, he's expressing this. So he, he talks in verse 23 about our deepest hunger. Here it is. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So remember I said super spiritual early? I didn't say it was a, a bad thing. I just say sometimes we don't think it through when we say it. We're just like, Lord, get me out of here. Most people, most people are like, Jesus, you just need to come back. You need to rescue us. You need to get me out of here. And they say that when they're in like a really deep valley. You put that same person on the mountaintop, they're like, yeah, it's cool if he comes back today, but if not, you know, I'm, I'm doing great. But the, the reality is we're very circumstantial with our theology. You know, and so obviously when, when the groans of life are, are, are finding us, yeah, it intensifies our longing. But, but Paul's just saying this. He's, he's not talking about, I want to get out of here to escape my jail cell. He hasn't complained once about being incarcerated. He's acknowledged it, but he hasn't said a word about, oh, Jesus would just come get me out of here. This is unjust. This is, this is terrible. Look at what's happened to me. He hasn't said a word about that. He's just like, no, nah, I just, I just want to be with him. And not because I hate being down here, but just to be with him is far better. It's, it's, it's actually better. Um, I've done more funerals than I can count. And most of them, not all of them, but most of them have been for believers. And I always try to be sensitive to the family's needs but I have a hard time feeling sorry at a funeral of a believer. I want to be compassionate to the family and everything. But listen, when I die, and I don't know who's going to preach my funeral. I have no idea. Probably Billy or Dustin or one of those guys. Art, you ought to say a couple of nice things. You know the good, the bad, and the ugly. But, but the reality is this, is I don't want anybody making a, you know, just this sad occasion. I'm going to promise you something. The moment I step over, I'm shouting, man. I, I am just, I'm, I'm the happiest I've ever been in existence. Why? Because it's far better to be with him. And, and the, I think the undervalued gift of Christians now is that although we can't be with him physically while we're, we're down here, but we can abide with him in faith. We have him now. And so I don't want anybody to postpone their glorying in Jesus and their joy in Jesus and put that on hold until you step into to heaven. Um, at the same time, 
there's a whole lot more to your existence than what's happening right now on planet Earth. That this is not your home. You're a passerby. You're a pilgrim. You're not meant for here. You were actually born for an, an, another kingdom. You were born the second time for a, another kingdom. God's purposes for you are not rooted in this generation and this culture and all your dreams and your aspirations and your accomplishments. It doesn't mean blow all that stuff off. It just means this. Don't take your deepest satisfaction from the wells of earth. Drink deeply from that kingdom where your primary citizenship lies. It helps keep your problems in perspective, by the way, too. You know, because I'm sure maybe one or two of you have a couple of problems in life going on right now, just you know, theoretically. And, and the reality is, is that they're all coming to an abrupt halt. They're, they're not going to follow you into glory. They, they, they are temporary. Paul said it. He, he wrote to the church around me. He said, I, I, I count, I reckon was the King James word. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And so the way that Paul kept anchored during his difficult times is he kept his heart fixated on Jesus. And he recognized that any pains, any losses, any, any battles are, are going to be temporary. And so we glorify him by keeping centered in him while those things are going on. And he, he remains our deepest hunger. But since we're all still here, what about our mission of love? Verses 24, 25, and 26. Paul's letting us go in his heart, and I'm hoping we're finding these things in our hearts too. He, he says this, he says, but to remain, remain in the flesh, to remain in my body is more necessary on your account. He says, it's better for you if I don't go to heaven. It's better for you if I do remain here. He said, I'm convinced of this, and I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Now, don't miss that. He just prophesied over his own life. He just said, I ain't going to die, because earlier he'd say, if I live, I, I die, I'm still glorifying Jesus. He says, but I want to let you know, I'm not going to die. He says, I'm going to be with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I love this because Paul had Holy Spirit revelation that he was going to get out of this incarceration. He knew. He wasn't just hoping. He, he did have that hope, but it was such a hope that it was a certainty. And he said, he said, I am going to be released. That's what he's saying there. He's saying, I absolutely know. It's very interesting because when he wrote 2 Timothy, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the fight. I've run the race. When he wrote 2 Timothy, he had revelation that he wouldn't be getting out and that he was going to die, and he did. But, but here he's like, no, my, my race is not over yet. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say because you have a brainwave and a pulse right now that his, his appointment for you on planet Earth has not ceased. He's not done with you yet. I don't care if you're 85 years old in the room. Do we have any octogenarians in the room? We might have a couple of octogenarians in here. It, it doesn't matter. If you're still here, there's purpose attached to you. And, and you don't need to minimize that. You need to, you need to steward that. You're not done with your race yet. You, you, you could have five years left. You could have 50 years left. None of us know that, but the reality is this. We have to steward today as under the Lord. Why? Because to live, Christ. He's, he's the hub. He is the center. He's the one we orbit around. And Paul says that, that in order for us to, 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 to live out that reality, we have a mission of love. It, it just means 
in some aspect, we have to remain continually aware that our lives are meant to be spilled out for the good of other people. Now, of course, there are, you can take that to extremes, and I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to hash out the extremes tonight. What I'm saying is this. Your life is to be lived out on a mission of love. Paul said this, owe no man anything except to love. So we all owe each other a debt of love. And when Christ is the center, we don't, we don't, have, to, we don't have to wrestle over parceling that out just a little bit at a time or feeling like we're going to lose if we keep giving our lives away. No, give your life away. Paul said when you lose it for the sake of the gospel, that's where you actually find it. The people that struggle the most in life are those that are trying to keep their life. And a loss of identity happens when you, you live in your little self-preserved world. But when you begin to give yourself away, you actually find out who you are in Christ. And so Paul is telling me, he says, I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm not going anywhere. And the reason why I know this is because it's better for you if I stay. And so I just want all of us, when we're talking about going inward, um, I, I just I, I want us to drill down and tap into that oil vein and, and to find that geyser of purpose to come up. And that purpose is tethered to Jesus. And listen, I, I just I'll be bold with 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 anybody that needs me to be bold with them here. Um, I, I think there are times where we come and receive, but I've used this illustration so much. I'm just going to use it again tonight. We're, we're not bowls. You know what, what happens with a bowl, right? You pour it in and it stays there. We're not bowls, we're pipes. You pour it in one end and it sprays out, on, on, out the other end. And that's the way the Christian life is. So many of us have the potential just to live as bowls and we keep receiving, we keep receiving, we keep receiving, and we keep receiving. And, and listen, that, that stuff grows stale. You go over to Israel, you got the Dead Sea. You know why the Dead Sea is dead? Because there's no outlet. It doesn't flow. And so it's dead. Nothing lives in it. It's the same way it can, we can stagnate like that as Christians. We just keep pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, but we never release. And so what Paul is saying here is as we go inward together, we're going to find that we have a shared mission of love. There are people in your life that don't need you to be the bionic Christian. You don't have to be some spiritual superstar. But, but if, if we can just be more aware of the simple moments that the Lord gives us to glorify Jesus in day-to-day -day things. Uh, I had a haircut today. Yeah, I still have a few left, so. And uh, I just, I, I have a fondness for this young lady that cuts my hair, and, and, and she's seen all the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, around Christianity. And I don't go in there and say, all right, while you're cutting my hair, I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 19. You're going to listen up, sister. I don't, I don't do that. I'm not going to come off that way. But I do try to value her by listening to her and listening to her story and see if there's moments in our dialogue with each other where I can just, I can just lift up Jesus right before her. and just Because just you put him before people, he does all the work. He's just looking for some of us that will just reveal him to those in our lives. And I don't feel like I have to get anybody saved. I, I know some my hyper evangelist friends you sometimes you can't sleep at night because you you're just wondering what will the lost sinner do without you well, the same thing he or she has always done without you but God loves that lost sinner more than you do and and the Lord is not saying oh no I can't save this person because so and so is not on their game today listen um, we don't save people we love them and we tell them the truth we have a mission of love 
whether it's giving the gospel to those that don't know Jesus, offering grace to those who do know Jesus but are struggling and failing. You know what people, when they flounder and they fail, do you know what they expect the church to do? Shoot their wounded. That's, that's what people expect nowadays. They, they expect us, uh, they, and listen, uh-oh, Lord help me. We're famous for loving people when they're behaving the way they ought to behave. But you let a so-called Christian have a bad day or a bad week or a bad marriage or a bad year or a bad addiction or a bad struggle, and then all of a sudden we're like, hmm. You know that's when they need us the most. And, and yet we've, we've gotten to this place where we think our mission of love is, is just kind of one-sided. Jesus didn't just, he did come to deceive and to save those, came to seek and to save those who were lost. So obviously there's an evangelistic mission attached to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and his earthly mission. But he also came to heal. He also looked at a woman in a, in a caught in adultery and he says, where's your accusers? He stopped judgment from crushing her in the worst moment of her life. He also went after Peter. And when Peter had blown it and denied him, and Jesus goes after Peter, not to say, how dare you, but to say, come back, come back. So our mission of love, friend, is, is there's so many facets to it. And I, I really just think we need greater awareness more than anything. I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook here. None of this was in my notes, by the way. Um, the results are not up to you. But the process requires your participation. The results are on the Lord and on the individual. But we're just pipes that want to pour the freshness of the Lord on all sorts of people. And so if we can do that and trust God with the results, then friends, I think we can come to that place where we say, yeah, my life, Christ. My life, Christ. My life, Christ. So we go down to verses 27 through 30 and we'll finish up. This is the first place in the book of Philippians where Paul now moves from talking about his own testimony and he starts calling them to action. This is where Paul says, now we've talked about me for a little bit, now let me talk about you. So Paul, Paul shares transparently with them for 26 verses and then when we get to verse number 27, he, he starts saying, now, now here we go guys, let's get in step with each other. And so here, I'm going to call this, let's go forward together. Uh, first of all, let's aim high. Look at verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Go pray over that verse for the rest of the year. Did you read it? Put it back up there on the screen. Okay, there. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, I'm overwhelmed by that. How do I live at a level that is worthy of the message about Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, before you get too panicky and shrink back into an orphan mindset of, I'm a worm, unworthy, unworthy. That's not what we're doing here. But, but what we are doing is we're raising the awareness that our lives have a standard by which they're measured against. And that, that's not 
I'm not measured against you. You're not measured against me. We're not measured against each other. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to live a certain way. And as you're living this way, I want you to intentionally steer your life on a trajectory that is worthy of the one who is your life. Paul would say to the church at Colossae too, he says, for you were dead, but now your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life shall appear, then you will appear with him in glory. So all throughout Paul's letters, he's saying position in Christ, fully accepted, fully justified, secured in the hand of a God with, from whom nobody can pluck you out of his hand. He says, that's your position. Now go out there and live like it. That's why he says you're a new creation. The old's passed away and all things have become new. And so we're being made in the likeness of Jesus. So what is he talking about here? Well, listen, he's literally saying, let your walk match your statement of faith. Every church has on their website. I'm sure we do somewhere. I don't go on our website, but I'm sure it's out there somewhere. What do you believe? So we've got all the stuff that we say we believe, and we should have that. I think that's good, making clear statements. But if we never had that written anywhere, and the only statement of faith that we had was how we live, I want mine to match up with what the Bible reveals about Jesus. And listen, none of us are executing perfectly all the time. It's not about, you know, walking on eggshells and, oh no, I've sinned again. I mean, listen, the Bible says if we say we have, not, we have no sin, we lie and we do not speak the truth. It says when you, con- when you commit a sin, uh, confess it, forsake it, you're cleansed from it. But that ought to be the incidental, not the constant. And so I'm actually responsible and you're actually responsible for living a life that reflects accurately on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biggest hang-up that non-believers have with people like us is that we preach, sing, and say one thing, and then we go out and live all jacked up. And they have a, they have a right to call us out on that. that. That, hey, we love your songs, too bad you don't live it, Mr. Worship Leader. Hey, preacher man, saw your sermon on WATC TV 57 the other day, but you acted like a jerk in the grocery store line. That's an actual thing that happened to me, but I'll leave that for a different time. Um, I, I'm going to encourage you to aim high, even if nobody else around you is doing it. To really, I mean, like in your marriage, when you're dialoguing with your spouse, that y'all, y'all know the patterns because y'all been together since the earth's crust was cooling. I mean, you've been together a minute, and, and, and y'all know each other's patterns, and so you know what you can get away with, you know what you can't, you know how to push a button and then pull back, and you... Couples learn all that stuff. Hey, why don't you knock that off and just start being like Jesus to him or to her? Just, just see what happens. You know, your spouse may fall on the floor of a heart attack when that starts happening. You know, pick them up and just say, hey, look, I'm trying. I, I want my marriage, I want my part of the marriage to be a reflection on Jesus. Same thing at work. Um, it's not always going to be rewarded, by the way, but this isn't saying anything about reward. It's saying about how we're going to live. And so let's aim high with that. Let's go forward together. And by the way, when I see you doing it, it makes me want to do it all the more. When you see me doing it, it makes you want to. And that's why it's a together thing. So we're moving forward together in this. Um, let's move in unity at the end of verse 27. 
He says, I want you to live your life worthy of the manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a worthy manner, uh, you know what it said, so as that whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, watch this, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's about to pull the curtain back just a little bit. By the time we get to chapter number three and four, you're going to find out there's at least two women in the church at Philippi who are not in a good season with each other. Paul doesn't harshly rebuke them, but he gently nudges them. And I think he's probably addressing it very gently here. He's saying, hey, one of the ways that you live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you stand firm with one another in the spirit. You stand together in one spirit. That is a way that we show our lives to be worthy of Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to have the same mind. I want you to move together in tandem in the spirit, and I want you guys to think the same thing about the most important things. And then he says this, I want you to strive side by side. That's a military word in the Greek, and it speaks of being able to march and win battles and conquer hills together side by side. And, and the reason why this is important, it's more than just, hey, can't we all get along? It's, it's, it's an important thing because the way the Lord sees us is that we have the same spiritual DNA. We have the same Holy Spirit. If I'm walking in the Spirit and you're walking in the Spirit, it's not a stretch that we would stand firm together. It's not a stretch that we would think the same way about the most important things in the kingdom and it's not a stretch if the, if the Holy Spirit and me and the Holy Spirit and you, if we're both walking in the Spirit, then we should be side by side striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, I know it's a little maybe cliche or silly sounding, but we're, we, we are actually on the same team. More deeply, we're in the same family. We have four different languages praying on the microphone tonight. We're all family. We're all family. We don't look the same. Our facial features are different, our skin colors are different, our hair textures are different, our birth certificates say different things. Um, we, we don't always agree politically, we don't always agree about some of the tangential social stuff, but I want to tell you something. You strip all that stuff away, and, and we're both standing before the throne of Jesus, and we're saying, you are everything to me. You are gloriously good. Apart, you, I'm, apart from you, I'm still dead in my trespasses and sins. But my name is written in your book along with every other believer. We're all written in his book. And so Paul is saying, hey, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm there at Philippi, I want to hear that you guys are all moving together in unity. I want to hear that you're striving side by side. Um, I don't have time to do this, but I just really feel like we are on the precipice of two intense things happening. I think that the nations are raging right now. And the intense boldness of non-believers is growing at, a, at an exponential rate. The hatred towards all things um, biblical or kingdom morality or it's just the rage is growing and I don't I don't see that subsiding but I also see that the intensity and the passion of believers is growing and our hunger for glory and the presence of God is growing and so what I'm seeing is I, this is the way I view I just view things often in military terms I see two armies gathering together about to go to war 
kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And I want to tell you something. Uh, all of us that have been born again, we are in the same battalion. And we cannot fight with each other. You hear me on that? We cannot fight with each other. Those days are over. We cannot quibble. We cannot bicker. We cannot accuse. We cannot operate in indifference in and lovelessness. We have to be striving side by side together for the faith and the gospel. And we have to take it to an unbelieving world because some in this army of darkness will defect when they hear the gospel and they'll join us. But they don't want to join us when we're battling each other, when we're divided, when we're ununified, when we're separatist, when, when, when we, we act in a segregated manner whether it's racial or social or economic or, or any of that stuff. And what Paul is saying here is, is very simple. Let's move in unity. Um, and then the last, the last verse, I'll just, I'll just quit in verse 28. Almost got done. Let's retain boldness. He says, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. I like that, man permission to be unapologetic permission to be bold not obnoxious but not apologizing for being a disciple of Jesus Christ not apologizing for believing the word of God not apologizing for standing your ground when all of the hellish culture comes against it and they want you to feel badly they want to isolate you they want to they want to they want to scorn you and just the idea where Paul says no, and he's not just talking to an individual here, he's talking to us. He's saying, church, don't be frightened by your opposition. Don't be frightened in anything by those that oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he adds this, he, he, he indicates that when we refuse to be frightened, it's a clear sign to them of their impending doom. Come on. You know, we've gotten so nice in the church and polite because we think, you know, the highest virtue is in, in the kingdom is to never irritate anybody. Um, listen, we're, we're, I said it earlier, we're salt. Have you ever gotten salt in an open wound? It irritates, it hurts. And the festering open wound of sin in our culture and unredeemed humanity, when salt goes in, it's going to cause a little irritation from time to time. But when we're unified and we refuse to back down and we're not mealy-mouthed and we're not apologizing for being Christians and we're not diluting God's truth and we're, we're not asking for permission to advance the gospel and to be exclusive in our presentation of the gospel by saying, listen, all roads don't lead to heaven. All gods are not equal. Allah and Jesus Christ are not the same God. And, and when we, we and you know, I don't yell it like that when I'm talking to somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I, I can encourage you and exhort you with this kind of passion. But the reality is, is that now the church has entered into about a 25 to 30 year process of starting to morph the message so we can get the applause of the culture. When, when Paul's saying here, saying, no, 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 no. Don't be intimidated. Don't be frightened. Because when you stand unified, it brings a conviction upon them. And he says it's also evidence of your salvation. And I'm going to pick this back up, but I'm going to mention it here. Let's finish well. We're, we're going forward together. 
Let's finish well. He says, Paul says this, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. All Christians, by definition, have believed in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's a gift. The gospel, the grace, the faith, it's all of God. He says, but not only do you get that, you also have been granted to suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So I'll leave you with this because we're all big boys and big girls as we leave, right? Um, embedded in the gospel must be the expectation that your relationship with Jesus will cost you something on earth, even to the point of suffering. Now, Paul knew of which he wrote. He's suffering, as he, he said in a different place, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul knew what it was like to suffer for the gospel. And all he's saying here to the church at Philippi, he's saying, don't back down from the opposition because as your faith was a gift, so is the opportunity to suffer and identify with Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's a gift too. And we're going to address that again in a later chapter. So let's stand to our feet. Lord, unify this house and unify us with your other children that aren't part of this house. Holy Spirit, please be relentless on our hearts when we actually are opposing each other. Convict us immediately and deeply. Don't let us get away with it anymore. When we speak against one another in private conversations with our mouths, convict us. Turn that flame up in Jesus' name. When we get bent out of shape on things that aren't crucial to the kingdom, convict us. Let us be the one who bows first. And Lord, where we have the desire to fight, let us fight for the glory of Jesus in resisting the pressures of our culture that tell us to reframe what we believe so that they'll like it. God, help us. Give us the ability to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And when suffering comes, Lord, we will know that it came through your hands, that you allowed it, that you permitted it. And Lord, I pray that when we come through it, as Job said, that we'll come through it as purified gold. In Jesus' name, amen.